I'm Randy, the pastor half of the podcast, and my friend Kyle is a philosopher. This podcast hosts conversations at the intersection of philosophy, theology, and spirituality. We also invite experts to join us, making public a space that we've often enjoyed off-air around the proverbial table with a good drink in the back corner of a dark pub. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to A Pastor and a Philosopher Walk Into a Bar. So today we've got a little bit more of a personal episode for you guys. We're not interviewing a guest, it's just Randy and I talking, and we're talking about something that is important to both of us and important to him in a unique way recently. So we are a pastor and a philosopher walking to a bar, and we have, I think, one time before now talked specifically about that bar part. It's Mm. it's an aspect of every one of our episodes. We always feature alcohol, and we've only once really dove into what that means to us. Mm-hmm. And Randy recently made a decision that's going to impact our take on that and its presence on our show a little bit. So in this episode, we're talking about alcohol, and Randy has something that he wants to share with you guys. Yeah, I, uh, I quit alcohol. Some of you are perceptive and could tell by some of the little comments I've made in a couple of past episodes, but I, I quit drinking alcohol in September of 23, so it's been five months now. And um, we felt like Alcohol is a consistent presence on this podcast, um, both in the title, theme. We do tastings because doing tastings is fun, and we figured it would set us apart a little bit as a podcast of all the many podcasts in the the genre that we occupy, whether what, whatever that is, mm-hmm. progressive Christian podcasts. And things are going to change a little bit. We don't know exactly how they're going to change with tastings and whatnot. We're figuring that out. But we wanted to just share this with you and also um, talk about and process through my process of why I did this. And um, I feel, I don't know about you, Kyle, um, but I feel a little bit of a responsibility since alcohol is a part of the show mm-hmm. and alcohol can be a destructive force. It can also be really wonderful in, in many ways. Um but I feel a responsibility personally to just air this out with you listeners, because yeah. I feel like we're together in this. We're a community. Um, and I know that many of you have drank some of the whiskeys that we sample or some of the beers that we've sampled, or you have great interest in them. Or maybe even I, I, th- I think we've talked to a few people who have gotten more interested in alcohol and cocktails and whiskeys and all that f- whole fun world because of it. So I want to be transparent and honest about why I quit so we can feel a little bit more responsible as that continues to be a theme on our show because we're not going to be a pastor and a philosopher walk into a mocktail lounge. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be a pastor and a philosopher yeah, walk into yeah. a bar. I still go to bars. I still hang out, but I just don't drink. Right. Yeah. We're not changing the, the title of the show or the overall theme of the show. We're going to talk more about what the bar has really meant to us anyway. All that's going to stick around. Um, but yeah, it's important. There is a little bit of a responsibility to to be fully transparent about our thoughts about this and about our own alcohol consumption, which maybe we've never been fully transparent about before. Right. I can totally understand a listener thinking we both drank a whole lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we're going to talk about that. I also hope, hopefully in, in the conversation, we'll zoom out a little bit and talk about some of the bigger issues related to alcohol and being a Christian and how it impacts, you know, how moral norms are affected by trying to set examples for others. All that stuff, I yeah. think, is bound up with this. So let's just see how it goes. Here we go. So 
So we've sort of been lying to you for a little while. Like you've been hearing tastings on our uh, show that you think are current and they're not because <laughs> Randy hasn't been drinking since September of last year. So what we did is canned a bunch of them with our friend Tim who sent us a crazy amount of really good uh, bourbon. Cheers to Tim. And we have a few left of those. So you're still going to be hearing Randy drinking for the next several episodes, but he has not fallen off the wagon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's going to be so sad. Yeah. yeah, no, I I shared with a friend, I don't know, two weeks ago that I stopped drinking and they're like, wait a minute, I just listened to you drinking something. <laughs> I was like, yeah, sorry, that's a little sleight of hand. hand. We, we basically, Tim sent us a bunch of really wonderful whiskeys when he found out that I was quitting. And we did a bunch of tastings within about a month span. So I I hit the booze hard <laughs> before I quit. <laughs> but it was fun and delightful to taste those and um yeah, we've we just haven't wanted to take the tastings out. We're trying to figure out what we do with that space and that time. We're still trying to figure that out. That'll be evolving, but sorry about tricking you a little bit. <laughs> so First thing that we do on every episode, some listeners skip them. Cal hates it when I say that because it encourages people to skip them, but some people love them. Um, we do a beverage tasting on every episode of this podcast, and um, today we are doing our first ever mocktail taste nice. test. I know, I know there are some folks out there who are annoyed by the phrase mocktail or the word mocktail. They think they should be called non-alcoholic cocktails. And to those people, I say, you're wrong. What? Cheers. There's, there's a lot of things to get mad about. That's not one of them. Cheers. Now, this smells so much like a Manhattan, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so the goal here was to make something that kind of approximated a Manhattan. We used uh, one of those non-alcoholic whiskeys. I think the brand is Monday. Hmm. And a non-alcoholic vermouth-like thing. That, that, <laughs> vermouth -like I, think, thing. I don't even know if it says vermouth on the bottle, but that, that's kind of what they're going for. It's colored the whole thing red. Yeah, yeah. It looks a little bit like cough syrup. Thankfully, it does not taste like cough syrup. This, to me, after having not drank any Manhattans or any alcoholic beverages for five months tastes incredibly similar to a Manhattan. It doesn't have that whiskey flavoring and mm -hmm. robustness and burn to it. But you said that they put capsaicin in here, a little like that's hot typically pepper juice, Yeah, that's typically what they put in these non-alcoholic spirits. To give spirits. you that little back mm -hmm. of the throat burn, which it's accomplishing just a little yeah. bit. Yeah, it's it's there. It, it's a very different burn than ethanol, obviously, but it's, yes. it's something to make you think, hmm, that might have been alcohol. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're trying to give you the whole experience. Yeah, yeah. Which this is not terrible. It's really mm -hmm. not bad. And wine is generally better, or wine-like things are generally better, because you can remove the alcohol from wine and still have something that's recognizably hmm. wine. So vermouth is a, a good place to go for non-alcoholic stuff because it is a fortified wine and you're going to have something that at the end of the day tastes fairly similar to the original. So we made like a sangria out of this and it was pretty good when okay. my wife was pregnant. Yeah, That's fun. Elliot, have you tried it? Yeah, it's tasty. Uh, I mean, it's sweet. It feels a little bit tamer. Like I, I said when we were off air, like I, I found that adding a double rye to a mocktail really really, <laughs> really sets it, it off <laughs> but but short of that this is really really good yeah i mean it's a it's a tasty beverage that my thing with mocktails that i've been finding in these last months is that i don't think they're worth the money like yeah. mocktails are not cheap they're not whether you go to a restaurant or you buy the ingredients yourself and mix yeah. them up like you have you've done which i appreciate i am happy with sparkling mm -hmm. you know water as opposed to spending yeah. stupid money on something that is fake so i have before us a non-alcoholic whiskey and a rye whiskey just regular and they're approximately the same price. That's nuts. <laughs> I think the rye was a bit more, but yeah, these bottles tend to run like forty dollars plus. Yeah, uh, which is the price of a pretty decent bourbon. So, yeah, to me, I mean, it kind of defeats the purpose. But 
I haven't like we at New Year's Eve, Elliot brought over regular drinks and some ingredients for a mocktail, and I was grateful to have something special to sip on. Yeah, it's yeah. almost more of a delicacy. The the bummer is, you know, if you spent that same amount on alcoholic drinks that you would get something that is is really really great but if you if you're going without alcohol like it it gets there you just have to know that you're going to spend a bit more in the process and yeah it's a, it, it's a treat for me it's every once in a while it's fun to have something a little bit fancier to sip on yeah in general i know there's nothing there's no like fun booze in it that sounds so alcoholic <laughs> <laughs> but there's just a difference to where i'm like nah i'm good i can uh, give me a lacroix i'm fine but mm-hmm. Um, there are occasions when it's just fun to have something to sip on. And that's part of not drinking that I've been experiencing these last several months is you feel like a weirdo sometimes. As this wave of NA drinks, I mean, it, more and more people are making these choices and mm-hmm. you know, we'll discuss some of the reasons, but it's like it you get it all in front of you and it's it's really compelling for a lot of reasons, for different reasons for a lot of people not to drink. So with that rising cultural tide, I bet the homebrew NA Making your NA moonshine, that'll be the next big you think so? thing in this space. I mean, how, it's probably easier than distilling, right? I mean, you're basically dealing with aromatics. I don't know anything about the I don't process. think so. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but distilling, creating alcohol is not a complex process. Yeah. You just have to have the right equipment. This stuff is like making a fine tea, you know, like it's <laughs> mm-hmm. complex mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, but I'd be very interested in it. Yeah. All those non-alcoholic home brewers out there write to us. Tell us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's well, this. let's uh, let's end this tasting before it gets really brutally too long. So uh, thanks for the mocktail, Kyle. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. So Randy, maybe we should start by talking about uh, what the bar theme has meant to us from the beginning, because mm-hmm. it, you know, it's obviously literal <laughs> in the sense that we we feature a beverage every episode. We have made it literal. Yeah, yeah. and we did that very intentionally um, because, again, we both are into booze. We're into booze, and because there weren't that many other podcasts in our, in our space that did it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple, but for the most part, it seemed unique. Um, and honestly, I wasn't aware of any of the others that did it when we made the decision to start this podcast. Yeah, so. and I'd like to think that we have like somewhat above average palates. Yeah, yeah. You know? I would like to believe that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's, you know, the the literal alcohol was never the essence of the bar thing. Mm-hmm. So let's just talk a little bit about what that meant and still means and probably will continue to mean going going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing it meant is just a catchy title, a catchy name, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, me and Emily, we're, we're, I think we'll st- still be like wrestling over who may, came up with that <laughs> title ad nauseum. But um, yeah, some one of us came up with that name, a pastor and a philosopher walk into a bar and it just stuck. But then we realized that we both do enjoy whiskey quite a bit, and this can be something that differentiates us. But I think the main thing that we enjoy about that theme is we don't want conversations that you have at church. Right. Nobody wants that, right? We get it. Praise the Lord for churches and for conversations in churches. I happen to, to lead a church. We all should... It's great to have conversations in the church, but that's not what we're trying to do with this podcast. We don't want to have academic conversations that are pure, just intellectual, right. you know rigor happening that that would have a shelf life and it sounds boring to me we want to have the kind of conversation that you have about spirituality philosophy life and everything in between 
at a pub or at a bar because unique conversations happen in those environments, wouldn't you say? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I like the way you framed that. It's not walking into a church. It's not walking into a university classroom. It's walking into a space where everybody's welcome, Yes, theoretically, <laughs> and uh, nobody is judged. Mm -hmm. And the conversation can be about anything and anyone can participate in it. I think that's what we were going for. And it gets a little passionate. It gets a little emotional at times. Yes. It, yes. It's you can have different uh, differing opinions. I've heard this over and over again from our listeners is that they love it when we the fact that we can disagree with one another about substantive things mm -hmm. and still just move right on. Right. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that you can do at a bar over a drink. Yes. And there's also, in my experience in bars, which I've almost exclusively gone to with groups of friends, mm -hmm. I've never been the, the, Lord. the kind of guy that just goes to a bar. No by intervention himself. needed tonight. <laughs> Um, there's like, there's like a nice equalizing thing that happens when you have yes. a, a diverse group of friends that go to the bar together where my tendency to be an academic is, uh, like tempered a bit tempered. Yes. Yes. It's sanded off by, by the non-academics yes. around me in a very good way because I, I have a tendency to take things as far as they can go mm -hmm. on the idea side. And that can be really unhelpful and really unproductive in the context of a real conversation with another human being. So yes, it's, it's very important when we're talking about spirituality and theology to not let it go to extremes like that. Yeah. And those kind of conversations, you know, you have that philosopher's um, capacity to, to go a little bit, to drill down further than we, than is needed in regular conversation while spiritual conversations or theological conversations can take a bit of a, a heavier tone than they need to. Does right. that make sense? <clears throat> yeah. They, they can be scary. They can be, you know, offensive yes. readily because of our, how much stock and emotions and weight we put into our, our theological or spiritual opinions and thoughts. But when you're sitting in a bar, everyone has spiritual or theological thoughts, whether you're yes. an atheist or you're a fundamentalist Baptist, right? Yeah, totally. And another great thing I like about it is that there's always a joke just under the surface when yes. you're in a bar yes. with friends. So if something gets too pedantic, you just tell the person in a funny way that they're doing that, right? You're being that person that yeah. you're not allowed to be here. Yep. <laughs> Rain it in. Um, yeah. And that, there's rules. Exactly. Yes. Unspoken social rules yes. of what kind of behavior and what kind of speech is welcome here. <laughs> yeah. As we describe this, I feel like we might be hitting this kind of close. Like this is... The reason that I enjoy our conversations, the reason that I enjoy our conversations with our guests or together is because of the tone of the conversation, even as much yeah. as the content. Yeah, yeah, totally. And every now and then, you know, we'll need to do a really serious episode where the tone is a little different. We've done that. Yep. And recently we did it and we didn't feature alcohol for that very reason because it's... Which one was that? The evil stuff. Oh, yeah. And because, you know, the tone needed to be a little different, a little more heavy. And that kind of stuff can happen in a bar-like space too, but you might have to treat it a little bit uniquely each time. So we're not leaving any of that behind. Correct. That's all going forward. We're just treating alcohol a little bit differently. Or Randy is treating alcohol a little bit differently, and that <laughs> means the show will too, to some extent. Yeah, and one of my main things in quitting drinking alcohol is that I don't want to be that pretentious guy that quits drinking alcohol that also then makes everybody else feel like they should <laughs> like quit the, drinking like alcohol. Like the, ba the baby Christian that uh, suddenly that's all they can talk yeah, about. Yeah, I don't want to evangelize. I'm not an evangelist for teetotaling. Um, this is a very personal decision. I'm completely comfortable with whoever uh, drinking. 
It's just, that, again, this is a very personal decision, so please stop me if I get that obnoxious air to me of superiority or judgment, even Deal. though it's really easy. <laughs> it's really easy Deal. for me. So why, as much as you want to share, why did you make this call? Um, super simple. And this is like the confessional part. This is healthy stuff. Part of making a life decision like this is that you actually have to have the humility enough to like own your shit. I just developed an unhealthy relationship with alcohol over the years. Um, I, I don't know how long I've been like regularly drinking alcohol, but it's probably like close to a decade, I would say. And over the last several years in particular, um, I've just become uncomfortable with my regularity of drinking. Um, it turned from drinking with friends, then it went to uh, enjoying a drink on my own. Then it went to like having a hard day you know, in ministry and feeling like, okay, I just going to have a drink so I can sleep tonight mm. to then I'm going to have needed one or two drinks. And then it eventually just turned into like pretty much every night I have a, several drinks um, at the end of my day to just unwind. And it became this ritual that I really enjoyed, to be honest, and could have really, I, there was nothing involved. My spiritual director, when I told him, because he knows that I struggle with ang anger, I said, oh, are you quitting because you're an angry drunk or you've gotten into trouble with your wife or your kids or whatever. And I was like, no, never, nothing like that at all. You can ask my wife. But I've just noticed over the last couple of years, there's been moments where I'm like, I need to, I need to scale it back a little bit. Hmm. Hopefully everybody who drinks has moments like that where you're like, uh, you reflect a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And I did that several times, but every single time I do that, I eventually, whether it takes weeks or months, never any more than months for me, um, I always wind up finding my way back to my old habits that I'm uncomfortable mm. with. And eventually I did that and I was just like, I, I have no personal integrity. I didn't respect myself after several times. Like I did the same thing with smoking cigarettes. When I was working in restaurants before I was in ministry, I started smoking cigarettes because that's what everybody did. And mm. I loved it and I got hooked in on it. And that probably took me a dozen times to try of trying to quit to actually quit and i haven't had a you know a puff of a cigarette in probably i don't even know shoot mm. 15 years probably similar with alcohol so i just felt like i i want to i want to scale back and i did that several times but i'd always wind up back in the same place and so it just helped it i felt ashamed of myself in some ways mm -hmm. that i wasn't able i felt like i was unable to control myself and to not even control myself because that sounds like a, a raging alcoholic but just unable to establish a healthy relationship with alcohol like i wanted and the last time was probably may of last year of 23 when i just said i'm okay i'm gonna i'm gonna scale it back again i'm gonna do a time of no drinking and then i'm gonna reintroduce it in a in a healthier rhythm and i told myself if i can't do it this time i gotta be done hmm. and sure enough i went back on you know, couldn't do it and just was like, okay, I've got to be done now. Yeah. If I'm going to have any integrity, any um, pride in just my, the way I live, um, it got to the point where I was just like, I have to, I have to quit drinking. Yeah. I don't think I can scale it back and establish a healthy relationship with alcohol without actually just stopping. Right. Has that changed your views at all about what a healthy relationship with alcohol might look like or whether one is really possible or feasible? I think it's different for everybody. Um, I know for me right now, the only way for me to have a healthy relationship with alcohol is to not have none whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, because I've just, I've proven over time that I can't, I, I, I don't have the self-control to do it at this point in time. Right. Um, my hope is, I don't know if this is going to be a lifelong quitting alcohol. The more I 
experience my body and life without alcohol, the more I think I'm, I'm, I might be done forever. But I'm not, I'm not saying that I might not have a, a drink with one of my kids when they, when they get married or have a kid or have a celebratory moment or whatever. I'm not right. saying that, but for a good long time, I'm going to be done drinking alcohol because I can't. But again, that's something that you have, like everyone should, who drinks alcohol, everyone should evaluate do I have a healthy relationship with this? Do I feel like I'm in control? Do mm-hmm. I feel like I'm um, making choices that I'm proud of and that I'm going to be happy that I made 10, yeah. 20, year, 30 years from now? Yeah, yeah. And it seems like some of that's pretty subjective, right? Because you're looking at your own life and saying, do I feel good about this? Yes. And you clearly didn't. Some of it's probably kind of objective too, right? I mean, you talked about being healthier and there mm-hmm. are objective ways to measure that. Yeah. <laughs> there are objective ways, there are depressing objective ways to measure the effects of alcohol on your body, yeah. which I know you want to talk a bit about. So can I ask, would you have considered yourself an alcoholic? Yeah, you can ask that. Um, I don't think so. But I don't know. I mean, a, a, a psychologist would have, would be way more qualified mm-hmm. to answer that if I to answer some questions. But um, I've never had any physical. I've never felt any physical attachment. I've never, you know, I I could go days without drinking and be totally fine. Yeah. Um, but there's this mental thing that I couldn't get over. So I don't know right. if that. I started to move into a place where I felt like my relationship with alcohol was unhealthy. Right. Where I, not out of control, but also not able to control it in a way that I feel like has integrity. Yeah, totally. And another thing is like, I have four kids and my oldest is, uh, she's in her second semester of junior year in high school. And if you know high schoolers, high schoolers drink sometimes or a lot or not at all. And I'm not saying anything. My, my daughter's not a drinker at all, but she's in venues where she has that opportunity regularly i have three boys that are all just barely younger than her they're you know either in high school or middle school and they've started asking questions and they notice me and my wife drinking and they in many ways me and my social network which you both are a part of kind of glorify alcohol in some ways you know like we talk about it in very romantic ways we i think we drink it for the right reasons we truly enjoy it we want to um we're not trying to get hammered every time we 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 drank all that stuff but at the same time it's it's romanticizing it to my kids and um you know as i've looked into what alcohol does to you i mean the statistics say easily the younger you're exposed to alcohol the younger you begin drinking the more of a likelihood you'll have of establish mm-hmm. being an alcoholic and having a problem with alcohol um, and that's something that i want to take seriously my daughter's looking into colleges i just did a college visit with her last week and um she's going to be in these environments where she's going to start doing these cost benefit analysis and i just want to i'm 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 excited to not be a person who is going to encourage her to drink by my own actions. I feel a little bit of responsibility with our listeners, but I feel a huge responsibility with my kids. And that doesn't mean that every parent needs to quit drinking. That just means that I hope that as parents, we're thoughtful about what we're conveying to our kids and telling our kids without even telling them with our habits and with Mm -hmm. the way we, with our relationships with alcohol, if that makes sense. Yeah. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a good question. (laughs) Cause I've, you know, my kids are too, two and a half and uh, four months at the moment. And the two-year-old 
already recognizes bourbon because, Is that right? because I explicitly taught him to recognize my man. <laughs> like we'll go to the liquor store and I'll say, what's that? And he'll say bourbon. <laughs> Um, raise him up now in he, way. he thinks everything is bourbon so it doesn't okay. <laughs> any, anything you have to bottle, be careful but. with him at like sunday school or even just regular school <laughs> i know and before that he knew how to cheers and that's the cutest thing ever he'll hold his little <laughs> so sippy awesome. cup up and cheers you so cute um but you know that does give me a little bit of pause right i want to make sure that he understands it appropriately also you know i want to have the kind of parenting style where nothing is ever off limits and if he ever asks a question about something i just tell him the truth because i think if he's mature enough to know enough to ask then he's mature enough to hear the answer Mm -hmm. and if he ever asked me say can i have a sip of that and he was not too but like you know old enough that it wouldn't do any serious damage to him then i'd probably say sure and then he would go and run away and that'd be better than saying no and trying to withhold it because then it's mysterious that's what we've done with our kids yeah right but that Although does. Although it, it comes back to bite you when one of your kids turns out to actually enjoy alcohol, right? Which right. I have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is something I should probably think more about at some point in the next ten or twelve years. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad you brought it up. I see this both ways. Like the the idea that the kids need to see us engaged mm-hmm. in a healthy relationship with alcohol, hundred percent. And so I guess a lot of that's going to be dictated by what that like. If I feel like I have a healthy relationship for them to see that in whatever form it is, is, is a good thing. I, I know I still, I continue to think about, you know, it's, it's not at this point an all or nothing for me, but it's definitely present on my mind whenever I'm in a situation where there are drinks that it's like, yeah, I, I know that this is, you know, it's kind of like just, it's, it's like eating the Big Mac. It, like in my yes. head, it's like, that's, there's a, there's a cost here. And I want my kids to recognize that as well. I'm trying to think if it's something that I could compare to other things that could be misused, you know, like yeah. an extreme would be like the the parent that is teaching their kid how to, how to properly handle a, a weapon in a sporting context for, or, mm-hmm. or even you and I share a, c- have cigars every once in a while. Yeah. How to, how to drive a vehicle. Like I want my kids to see that I have a healthy relationship with this thing that is dangerous, but mm-hmm. But to understand, like, uh, you know, the, the car has some real utility. It's not objectively bad unless we want to, like, we'll do the environmentalism episode later. But <laughs> <laughs> alcohol is tough because there is such a cost. And I think that that, that awareness is only growing. You know, you, you dig deeper into it and, like, nobody's, nobody's discovering that, oh, actually, this isn't quite as bad as we thought it was. Like, it's just <laughs> no, it's none a, of the reasons. continually worse than we thought it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's something to keep grappling with. Yeah, I mean, pastorally even. I, I smoked cigarettes up until even past when we started started the church that I started. And one thing, one of the, the thing that, like, was the drove the nail in the in the coffin for me as far as smoking will i smoke or not is um i started to notice people who were part of our church young people who were part of our church starting Mm. to smoke and as soon as i saw that i was like i need to stop smoking like i already wanted to stop but then when i saw other people around me starting to smoke because i think probably me and my friend who started this thing this church thought it was cool that's when i felt like this huge responsibility that i do not like I'm in control of what I do, but I'm not in control of what they do. And I don't want to give them that, that permission. And it's the same thing with being in ministry or having a podcast where we're actively and publicly drinking. Mm-hmm. That's the responsibility I, I, I feel. I hope that there's no one who started drinking because of our show, to be totally honest with you. So let's drill into that a little bit, because there's something I think we need to be careful to balance here and not go a little too far with sure. this kind of point. And I know that you're not doing that, but I've heard this point made yeah. too forcefully in the past. 
particularly by fundamentalists I went to college with because they were all teetotalers. Mm-hmm. And one of the seemingly, because they had a bunch of arguments about, you know, it was actually grape juice in the Bible and not wine. So they had all the really shitty, shitty yeah. arguments too. But one of the more forceful ones, or it seemed forceful to me at the time, and it seemed to be the linchpin for most of them, was this kind of example-based argument. I have mm-hmm. to be an example for others. I have to avoid, as they would say, even the appearance of impropriety. Yes. And they had Bible verses that they would marshal to support that. Um, and what they meant was, if anybody else did what I did and was unsafe doing it, then I shouldn't do it. And that, to me, is both irrational and also weirdly a weird way to frame a moral question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of it runs counter to what we all know of as a, a good life. Uh, and what I mean by that is, um, if we envision what a good life would be, a good human life would be. For most of us, it would include risky activities. Hmm. Probably mm-hmm. all of us, to be honest. Mm-hmm. In some way, it would another, include yeah. activities that, um, if other people were to do them under different conditions with different characters than we possess, they'd be dangerous activities for those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some extent, they're dangerous activities to us. But of course, we would want them as part of a good life because a life devoid of them would be flat. It would not be the kind of life that any of us would look at and say that is a flourishing existence. And this notion of a good life lies at the basis of most moral theories. Um, And so when I heard my friends in college make that point, it just seemed strange to me because you could you could replace alcohol with so many things in that scenario or in that, you know, point that they were making and end up with a really weird risk avoidant, hesitant um, cowardly in some ways existence mm-hmm. that none of them would, would aim for or reach for, right? And so the point I would try to make was uh, that, look, you don't base your moral decisions on what just any old person would do in the circumstances you're in. You base your moral decisions on what a virtuous person would do in the circumstances you're in, on, on what a moral exemplar would do. You aim for that and you hope other people will aim for that too. And so I feel no qualms whatsoever about having a podcast with alcohol in it because I'm not holding this up as an example. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My behavior is not an example for you. I hope. Please don't let it be. (laughs) Okay, Um, Charles Barkley. (laughs) Did Charles Barkley say something like that? There was a huge Nike commercial 30 years ago where he went on camera and he was like, I am not a role model. (laughs) Half the people loved it, half the people hated it. Excellent. I would probably have liked it. I don't know. Um, but you know, I do hope that we're aiming at similar moral exemplars and we can name some of them. And a lot of those people incorporated alcohol into their life very successfully. Um, so yeah, I just want to avoid that kind of extreme version of yeah. it. You know, my main thing in, cause I've been around a number of pastors who, when they saw me having a beer at a restaurant or whatever, they would literally not have a beer, a, a drink in public at all. Mm, and I was yeah. like, uh, no, I have no problem with it. And I, I've been around guys who have like literally hidden their body over their glass mm, just in yeah, case that's... they saw someone they want yeah. or someone they knew or was part of their church. I didn't appreciate that as well, kind of like in what you're saying. However, alcohol is a different thing for me. Mm-hmm. It's there is an inherent if you're not in control and intentional about the way you drink and the way you um, relate to alcohol, it's going to be really bad for you. Like it's like life-changing bad. You know, Mm -hmm. marriages have been destroyed because of alcohol and family relationships have been destroyed and people are on the streets because of alcohol. People are dead because of alcohol. That's for me where I, I just personally feel 
like this is a show where we have romanticized it to the level that um i'm i want to be responsible with what how i present myself and how Mm -hmm. i present myself with alcohol there's just a little bit of a different level for me because of the alcohol and because of the way we talk about it and feature it on our show yeah and that's a personal thing yeah i don't put that on you at all no i think i can understand where you're coming from i just there are things that i i totally acknowledge that i've romanticized it (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it is romantic to me yes it is um and there are other things it's difficult to draw like moral parallels sometimes or moral analogies can be quite difficult um because Mm -hmm. there's always some small way in which they're different um and so you know drawing a good analogy that makes a good forceful point is very difficult and it keeps philosopher ethicists up at night to try yes, to do it. Yes. Um, one that springs to my mind that I know has issues. Um, we could, we could talk about risky behaviors all day, right? Um, there's actually, I, I realized this recently, there's actually a, uh, measure of risk called the, let me Google it. Cause I'm going to forget. This is crazy. How relatively Manhattan-y that tastes. It almost helps. For me to not like not try to call it anything yeah. like yeah. this is this is just a, a tasty drip beverage. Yeah, it's a yep. great spiced non-alcoholic cocktail. Yeah. yeah, I would do yeah. the same thing except it tastes so much like a Manhattan to me. It's good. Yeah. Now, is that weird for you? Like, does that give you any temptation to go home and make a Manhattan? No temptation. Okay, um, but it is weird that like I don't I wouldn't want to have this all the time. Um, yeah. I wouldn't either. <laughs> Well, yeah, because it's like sugary and all that shit. Yeah, yeah. But also because um, part of the part of the reason that I don't feel like I'm gravitating towards mocktails is because I'm trying not. I don't want to have a replacement for it. Right. Like I don't need. I appreciate it when somebody's hosting a party, like a friend of mine just this last weekend did, and asked me what kind of NA beer I like. I appreciate that. That's thoughtful. But at the same time, I'm totally fine with a glass of water and lemon. Like I, that's yeah. my favorite drink, anyways. Um, I'm totally fine with just not being having the same kind of thing in my in my hand. Yeah, totally. Okay, so there's this measure of risk. It's called a micromort, and it's basically that's not real. <laughs> it really is, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, it's basically a unit of risk, and it's defined as a one in a million chance of death. So one micromort. A micromort. Yeah, is the, you have one. It in a million sounds like a despicable me this. character or something. <laughs> I know. Um, there's another one I can't remember the name of that's basically a half an hour of your life. Um, so doing X behavior it equals takes off a half hour. Yeah, one half yeah. hour of your yeah, life. Yeah. Um, and so there's. I've done so many of those things, by the way. <laughs> many half hours taken off of yes, my life. Yes, yes, yes. And it's difficult to find like reliable lists of these, but like books have been published comparing these, uh, you know, risks of things that you might not expect, and some of them are quite like jarring. And I came across it during COVID because I read some articles that were comparing trying to make it real for people how serious it is to mm-hmm. go outside without a mask mm-hmm. and be like, look, your your risk if you're in this age bracket and you live in this location, like your risk of getting seriously ill and actually dying from this or killing someone else mm-hmm. is like dramatically higher than you would think. Um, mm-hmm. And then like also when things were, were coming down and were getting safer and there was a lot of pushback on like, you know, alleviating some of the restrictions, like removing mask requirements and stuff. It's also useful to think of it then because we regularly take on risks in our daily lives that are much higher at that point than going out into a restaurant without a mask was. For example, if you drove yourself to the restaurant, you're taking on much more risk than you are now, right? Than going maskless. So 
we're humans are super bad at um, thinking about risk mm-hmm. and, and thinking about it accurately or knowing the things that we do without thinking and how they could Im- impact our lives or the lives of others. And so in trying to think of a good analogy for alcohol, as I experience it, the thing that sprung to mind, and this is going to piss off some listeners, <laughs> I know that, um, is football. Um, because it plays a similar romantic role in the life of many Americans, and it is extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. And we know this. And the more, da- just like alcohol, the more data we find out about it, the worse it is, to the extent that I'll never let my kid play football. Mm-hmm. And yet, I would not, you know, suggest to someone else that they ought not to play football above a certain age if they can consent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would not want to, let's say I made that decision, which I have. I'm not going to expect any of our listeners to then like model that decision because again, I think we should all be aiming for an objective norm of what a good life looks like, mm-hmm. not any particular person's subjective experience. Of yeah, I like, like that. That kind of norm. So, yep. So, speaking of risk, let me just can I can I do the really annoying thing of please do. talking through a few of the health effects yeah, yeah, that totally. alcohol brings. Yeah, it might be good for some people to know, and I'm going to tune out. So go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious, Randy, like how much of, how much was this a part of your decision or is it like at the point where you've made the decision, now there's all this fun data that you get to dig into that kind of just backs up and like, mm, that's yeah, a, that's for your process, yeah. I'm really curious about this dynamic. Yeah. I mean, I feel like most people know that alcohol isn't good for you, you know, but yeah. I have, but there are some myths that are worth puncturing. And they're, they've been myths for good reason, because up until very recently, they were reasonable. For example, that um, a few drinks a week are actually good for you, good for your cardiovascular right, health, right. which there are still studies, recent studies that suggest it might be, but they have all these sorts of problems. So that those are risks worth discussing. Yeah, and, most, most scientists and doctors will say, will now say like, it's yeah. better to drink. There's nothing. an emerging consensus that nothing is better than a little even. Yeah, it's kind of like what they say about lead. There's no safe amount. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not. It's not actually that bad. But like, uh, yeah, there's no like health benefit to yeah. drinking alcohol unless you're like born in a very specific region of France or something. <laughs> yeah. But Elliot, to answer your question, when I was drinking, I mostly took Kyle's tact, which you just said of like, I'm gonna tune out because I don't really want to know what this is doing to my body. But I could see the effects and I could feel the effects. That's what got me to the to that place. And then once I quit drinking, it became really like, okay, now I want to expose myself to all the things that alcohol did to my body because I want to not go back to it. But it also, honestly, it's just scared me about what I've spent the last 10 years of my life doing to my yeah. body, to be honest with you. Um, so let me just hit some high-level stuff. If you want to like really go into the science of what alcohol does to your body, listen to another podcast. Like, <laughs> and Find some actual experts. Yes. <laughs> Andrew Huberman is a Stanford professor who talks about this stuff, has a great podcast. There's a million of them. Um, and really, if you're struggling with alcohol, you should go listen to them. Like, that's a, that's a serious thing. Um, but just in my, like, a li- doing a little bit of research and all the stuff that I found is all on, like, academic journal reviews, basically, or a doctor talking about this on a podcast. So... First of all, alcohol is a known toxin and carcinogen. We know that toxins are bad. Carcinogens cause cancer. It's serious business. Researchers from Oxford University conducted this research over the course of 30 years. So this is a substantial research. And they, would, they, they looked at like 30 or 40,000 people. And they found that drinking literally shrinks the size of your hippocampus, which your hippocampus is the portion of your brain that's responsible for memory, learning, and emotions. 
And the amount of alcohol is, you consume is directly related to the amount that your hippocampus will shrink. But participants who drank literally low to moderate drinkers, one to two drinks a day, which is about seven to 14 drinks per week, obviously, if you do the math, um, their hippocampuses are still shrinking. But the more drinks you have, like they said, um, a person who has four drinks per day, and that a drink in this study is a beer. Basically, that's yeah. the amount of alcohol in a Yeah, it's usually that drink. or like, a, you know, certain, like a shot of a liquor or something like right. that. Right. So in most of the, in the Manhattans, I would make myself, there's, that's two or three drinks in one drink, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. Because yeah. um, I like my drinks tasty and boozy, right? right? Um, it's, that's interesting to think about, like, the shrinking of the hippocampus, like piece of the anatomy, but the way that most men would value that, like compared to like another piece of their anatomy, that if it shrunk, <laughs> like immediately none of us are drinking. I think actually there probably there the are. I, I suspect the there are real links between alcohol. I wouldn't be surprised. And impotence. So <laughs> that's what, I wouldn't be surprised. That's what. But does that's it for you. that's the part where all of the liquor brands go out of business. But yeah, the hippocampus. We're like, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, I can't see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, so the research says that participants who drank four drinks per day were about six times more likely to see their hippocampus shrink as opposed to non-drinkers. So the way I saw this happening in my life was not at all for a long period of time. And then in the last year, I would say, I just started knowing my... Or, or, uh, what's the word I'm We're witnessing for? it in action, yeah, right? Yeah, having, having <laughs> yes. trouble thinking yes. of it. Yes, exactly. What's that word? <laughs> this is what a small hippocampus will do for you. Yep, yep, <laughs> shit. It'll no, go back. But I, no, I did notice myself not having as crisp of a memory. And I did notice, like, I literally would start um, taking cold showers on Sundays when I had to, when I had to preach. I'd give my sermons mostly by memory, and, and that's the only way I really can do it well. And I had noted, noticed brain fog setting in more than I had in the past. And it was easy for me to associate that with, with age because I'm 45 years old. But that feels a little bit too young to get brain fog and to start forgetting things. And I just started kind of sensing this relationship between my, my memory being a little bit not as sharp as it was and my drinking habits, to be honest with you. Hmm. I'm curious about it, any notes on that one now that you've been without a drink for whatever, five five months like. yes i feel sharper for sure mm. in particularly in the morning um but i feel sharper in general um, yeah. my body just feels different um my brain feels clearer my brain feels sharper my body feels um, more energetic more lively more healthy yeah my body's the biggest effect that i can feel it and i've lost over 20 pounds in the last five months since that's I, remarkable since i stopped yeah. drinking and i haven't done much anything else besides yeah, i was gonna ask have you is that like part of a whole workout regimen or the no, just alcohol no i was working out while you know I, I've tried to be healthy mm -hmm. <laughs> besides the whole booze thing. And um, so I haven't inc increased my, my exercise much at all. And I work out with the hippocampus growing back. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know about that. We'll see. I don't, I think they're, <laughs> you'll have to talk to the scientists about that one um, and my wife. But uh, just a little bit more in our brains, even for people drinking one to two drinks per day, which is considered low to moderate alcohol consumption, seven to 14 drinks per week. They say it doesn't matter if you do it one to two per day, or if you do it four per Friday night and then another right. three on a Saturday, it doesn't matter. It's just how much you drink per week on average. Um, there is evidence, even for low to moderate alcohol consumption, there's evidence of thinning in the, of the neocortex of the brain, which just means your brain is losing neurons. The, 
if you drink low, even low, in low to moderate ways, which means your memory isn't as sharp. Your your ability to learn on the spot slows down and all the other stuff. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a neurologist, so I can't get into detail. But this stuff is like peer-reviewed consensus. Very yeah, this is not controversial. This is not at all. <laughs> We're not no. bringing out crazy hack science here. So Yeah, there's... There's a good amount of data that says consuming alcohol increases your risk of cancer, and that's pretty much mm -hmm. unanimous as well. In particular, there are many studies that show that anywhere from 6 to 14% increase in risk of breast cancer, which is a real correlation, they say. And it, but it's not just breast cancer. There are many scientists who are now saying we need to ch start talking about alcohol like we've been talking about cigarettes because we have converted as a culture over the last 70 years probably um, to where we know that cigarettes causes cancer. There's a direct correlation. And scientists say, we know just as much, there's just as much of a correlation between cancer and alcohol as there is between cigarettes and, and, and cancer. We just don't talk about it like that. We don't mm -hmm. talk about alcohol in the ways that we talk about cigarettes. So they'll even say now, to be as le little sensational as I can, at least amount of sensation. Um, they say that for a woman, drinking a whole bottle of wine is the equivalent of smoking 10 cigarettes. And for a man, the equivalent of drinking a whole bottle of wine is the equivalent of smoking five cigarettes. Mm -hmm. That's just a bottle of wine now. You throw in hard liquor there, and it's basically like we're all just regular smokers, which most of the people that I know who drink, in particular who drink whiskey and good, good spirits, wouldn't be comfortable being addicted to smoking or smoking, regu smoking cigarettes regularly. That's something that science, I think you're going to be hearing more and more in the next five to 10 years, this correlation between alcohol and cancer. Um, it's a real thing. And so, how, yeah, how, how much did that factor into your decision? Um, a fair amount, you know, like I, I find myself making different decisions as I age. Basically, I can just tell you, like, it's not just alcohol. It's how much I exercise, how much sleep I get, how I want to treat my body, because I'm, I'm noticing, I'm feeling in my feet and my knees and my wrists and my, you know, all sorts of things. I'm reaping the <laughs> karma is coming back to me. I, 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 I lived in ways that was, wasn't crazy, but I just did not care about what I did to my body basically when I was younger. And I don't mean that I partied. I mean that I did stupid things behind a speedboat and jumped off of things that I probably shouldn't jump off of. And I ran in whatever, you know, like things that just wear down your body. I'm just noticing I want to make different decisions that increase my body's health and life as I age into my 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever. And alcohol, is, it's been looming over me of like, I need to change this and I'm not getting any younger. Like the, the, the time to actually form new habits um that was motivated quite a bit by my health i would say mm -hmm. so this is all been i'm a, a little concerned that we may have overplayed the risk of cigarette smoking versus moderate alcohol consumption because they're not comparable okay um like if you're no a, they're not if comparable. You're a hard alcoholic they're probably kind of comparable but like i saw someone i saw a, a professor say that having one or 10 grams of alcohol is the equivalent of smoking 10 cigarettes. But then I saw a different study that said way less than that, which is the bottle of wine is equivalent to 10 cigarettes for a woman or five cigarettes for a man. That's why I went with that one, because yeah. it was way more conservative. I think in the scope of misinformation on the internet, that's probably not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I do right, want to, right. I, if I conveyed that's that it's a one-to-one -one between cigarettes and alcohol, I wouldn't want to convey that. because yeah. I don't, it's I don't think you did. So Kyle, this has been mostly about me and my decision and all that stuff, which is great. But tell us about your relationship to alcohol and what this 
yeah. what this does to you. Yeah, so I mean, it is romantic to me, as we said before, and part of the reason for that is that I didn't, I, I was in a teetotaler culture all the way through college, grew up in, you know, the state that produces bourbon and never had a bourbon until I moved away from it, <laughs> um, and had to kind of drink secretly at the Applebee's when I was in college with like my two friends who would also willingly drink secretly because if our campus pastor found out, it would have been a really big deal. Um, you moved from the bourbon state to the beer state. I did. I did. <laughs> and incredible. I hated beer until not that long ago because I, I never had any good beer. And so when I sought out my first whiskey, it was a very... It, you, you can imagine the nerd that I am. I did it very intentionally. I did a bunch of research and mm-hmm. I kind of had this thing for Scotland anyway because of some uh, family ancestry and some stuff with my dad. And so I thought this is going to be like a really kind of meaningful experience, my first scotch. And it was. <laughs> I sought it out and I was like, this is a good first one to try. I went to the bar. Mm-hmm. And it was great. I mean, it just kind of grew from there, and I loved it immediately. So it wasn't like an acquired thing I had to normal, try. That's yeah, not a normal no, thing. I, it, it immediately tasted really good to me. So, And it's always been about that. It's always been about, um, it's just one of many things in my life where I try to get the finer versions of it just for pure aesthetic mm-hmm. enjoyment. There's nothing else to it for me. My dad, I love that. My dad was an alcoholic, but it was before I was born. Hmm. I know that's a weird thing for an alcoholic to hear that you could be an alcoholic in the past, but that is how I would describe it because I never witnessed him take a drink of alcohol, Mm -hmm. um, much less be drunk, but it was, it was serious and it affected my parents' marriage. And so, um, it was something that was taken very seriously in the home and probably contributed to my never having a drink until I was living alone in grad school, Mm -hmm. um, and surrounded by people who drank regularly, but none of which were alcoholics that Mm -hmm. I know of. And so... I have a large liquor collection, and I, I yeah, really, I, when I get into something, I, I would get really into it. Um, and you would think, based on looking at my bar and this podcast that I drink all the time, I maybe have a drink a week on average, maybe two uh, in a week. Where I th- and the reason is Good not, I just, I just don't think about it <laughs> unless I'm with people or in a in a setting where it would uh, be nice to have. I just don't think about it. Um, I'm much more likely to eat some chocolate and drink some milk at the end of the day <laughs> I don't understand than I the am milk thing. to pour anything. You're not um, 12 years old, dude. I, I don't know, dude. I love milk. Um, so, like, sugar is much bigger deal for me than alcohol. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. I, if I yeah, if I could successfully cut out sugar, I'd be happy. But I have the same relationship have to with cut sugar out that you did. Well, but whatever. Alcohol, and that's a huge part of it. Yeah, for sure. So I more or less have cut out beer. Um, because I kind of got bored with it and also because of the calories, um, because most of the beer it's I was heavy. drinking is super sugary yeah. stuff. Um, and that's what I like. And <laughs> it's just really bad for you. And you. It's amazing how quickly you lose weight and feel better when you cut out just something like that. That's doing like that and soda, like makes mm-hmm. a huge difference all by itself. Um, so I don't feel like I have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. I feel like it's Sounds something like it, that's yeah. firmly in the category of, that's fun and Good. I enjoy it. Yep. And I hope that's clear to my kids <laughs> as, as we age. And who knows how long I'll actually be into it because it's also a very expensive hobby. Um, so that's my relationship with it. I want listeners to know that. And again, don't use me as, as your example. If that's not you, mm-hmm. you know, do what's right mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. One thing that I do find somewhat encouraging that I was just reading about in preparation for this episode is that apparently 
the current youngest generation is drinking significantly less than <laughs> the generations prior. It's actually shifting. So the the overall average for like the United States has stayed more or less constant for like 40 plus years, but it's increasing for people over 55 and going down by about the same amount for people under uh, 35, I think. Is that right? It was, yeah. And then the, the biggest drinkers are like us. <laughs> like the people in the middle, the the old millennials, older millennials and Gen Xers. Okay, that makes sense because I was going to be like, bullshit. Like, <laughs> I don't, I notice more and more people around me drinking, but maybe that's because our yeah, demographic might, are the might, ones I doing I feel that. the same, yeah. Although I will say like the 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 beer and whiskey geek communities that I'm a part of are all expecting the bubble to burst any moment. In fact, it already has for beer. I mean, it's just crashing pretty much. Interesting. And so I I do wonder if like the thing Elliot was talking about with the non-alcoholic thing will be the next obsession or what people Could will be. move on yeah. to or not. But it does seem younger people are less interested and they're also less likely uh, to to abuse it um, to drink regularly. That's awesome. Than previous generations. Maybe some of this stuff we've been talking about is, is having something to do with that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we haven't, there's so much we haven't talked about, right? Like the social aspect of it is a thing that I, you notice when you're not drinking. I was never comfortable with this when I was drinking, but the idea of like, if you go to a dry wedding, everyone rolls their eyes, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> or this idea that you can't have a party or gathering without alcohol mm-hmm. in order for it to be actually like a genuinely fun time. You feel really Baptist if you do that. Mm-hmm. But there is, you know, we live in Milwaukee and Milwaukee, Wisconsin is like the drunkest state in the country. I'm almost certain of that. And there is a real reality that I started noticing where like I felt like a, a weirdo and kind of an outsider when I the first wedding that I was at, I officiated, but then hung out at the party. It was a great time. But there's a bar at the at the wedding and that's where most people congregated. And I got looks like mm people kind of looking at me if I had just a water. Um, Oh, right, right, right. It could have been just my self-consciousness because it was the first time in years that I had been without a drink in that kind of environment. But it's just an interesting social commentary when you actually reflect on how does our social group, our friend group, our family, whatever, what's our relationship collectively with alcohol? Mm -hmm. And are we comfortable with that? Are we comfortable with what we're doing with ourselves and also what we're telling to our the people around us. Yeah. It's just an interesting thing that once you stop drinking or once you start thinking about it, it's just one of those things that is, it's a real dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm somebody who thinks that like the social lubricant function of alcohol is actually a really useful it thing can be, to have yeah. in certain yeah. contexts. And uh, interestingly, I think caffeine can play a similar role. It does mm. it very differently, but people go have coffees together for a reason. <laughs> part, mm-hmm. part of the reason is that it's one of the few spaces you can freely congregate without having to make big plans and be excluded or whatever. But you know, the drinks that you have there plays a role in that as well. Caffeine has mind-altering effects. Very different from alcohol, but significant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm actually very pro the mild intoxicating effects of alcohol for its social usefulness. Um, and I I both enjoy it, but also think that um, it's it plays a nice... Um, covering role uh, over some some differences that would otherwise impede intimacy and connection it helps people get past certain barriers if you need it to get past those barriers that's a problem (laughs) but like as an introduction like i have people that i'm acquainted with i wouldn't call us friends um but we mostly get together over shared interests. And if we're ever going to become friends, something like that's going to be necessary. (laughs) We're going to have to have some conversations after like two or three drinks that will then create a connection that can be something more. But honestly, without alcohol, that often can't happen. Yeah, And I think that that would be a loss if that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I can tell you for me, like one of the 
this is funny and it tells you what like the things I enjoy in life. But one of the biggest losses of not drinking for me has been the experience that we three share in this mm-hmm. podcast. And I, it's not just in this podcast that I do this. I have other friends in my non-podcasting time where we will sit around and have a whiskey and talk about the flavor profile and what we love about it or what we hate about it, all this stuff. Right. I love that stuff. Like I love tasting things and f- getting the nuances and the complexity and being able to name it. That's a, that's a muscle that I've built over time that I really am sad to, to let go. But I've also found myself getting really into expensive coffee. You know, I've yeah. let myself yeah. go a little yeah. bit with splurging on the best coffees that I, that I can find because coffee does the same thing really like there's i've i've got a coffee from our our local spot shout out venture brew that it tastes like you're eating blueberries when you're drinking this Mm -hmm. coffee it's Mm -hmm. friggin incredible Mm -hmm. same i want to do the same thing with tea because you can do the same thing you can expand your palate and you can taste the different nuances and the regions and the different varietals that's the kind of thing that I miss that I'm trying to get back into my life. Not in an aggressive fashion, but it's just a thing that I loved about yeah, drinking it's alcohol. It's fun to really geek out about something with, that has a huge sensory array. For me, can, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I totally get that. So, how do you think this is going to affect our show? How, how, how are we mm-hmm. going to... Have you thought about how we're going to do tastings? I haven't really thought about it because it's like, well, yeah. Kyle and Elliot I mean, will figure it out. Probably it means it'll be fewer tastings okay. i expect um there'll probably be episodes that don't have any um i th- i think it might be fun to occasionally bring on uh, a guest like we do with tim um to mm-hmm. have a tasting mm-hmm. with somebody else maybe you'll hear a little bit more from elliot or maybe if there's a philosopher or a theologian or yeah. a pastor something that is really enjoys yeah. alcohol as well we can do that yeah now you know t- the tastings were never the essence of the show they were always a fun aside okay. and they will continue being a fun aside that is probably less frequent and just in case you're angry with me listeners by ruining the tastings i understand first of all but second <laughs> of all i've been an advocate for just me sitting back during the tasting time and letting kyle and elliot continue as normal that's that yeah. would be fine with me yeah which which may may still happen you should know if you send us booze at this point you're sending it to me and elliot <laughs> so <laughs> yep. which I'm yep, fine with it. <laughs> totally feel free to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we didn't know going into this how, uh, I don't know, significant it would be to how many of our listeners. I still don't know, really. Nope. <laughs> but yep. I'm very interested in your feedback. If this hits a chord with any of you, let us mm-hmm. know about it either in either direction. Um, if there's anything we got wrong or missed, let us know about that. Yeah, if you're an aficionado, 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 this is a mocktail, I promise. If you're aficionado <laughs> of whiskey, bourbon any kind of beverage please still interact kyle and elliot would love to get any you know thoughts or recommendations or if you want to send anything we still love that and also if you struggle with alcohol i want to this is this sounds corny and cheesy but i just want to say it like think hard about it and mm-hmm. talk to the people that you need to talk to make let's be willing to make some tough decisions for the sake of our health for the sake of our lives for the sake of the people around us but um all that said nothing's nothing besides the tastings every once in a while are going to change about this podcast and i'm excited to be honest with you listeners i'm excited to just have this dynamic where we're a community and we're just kind of engaged in each other's lives a little yeah, bit totally and um i'm excited to move on from this then too yeah. and thanks for being so transparent about it of course
Thanks for listening to A Pastor and a Philosopher Walk Into a Bar. We hope you're enjoying these conversations. Help us continue to create compelling content and reach a wider audience by supporting us at patreon.com slash a pastor and a philosopher, where you can get bonus content, extra perks, and a general feeling of being a good person. Also, please rate and review the show in Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. These help new people discover the show, and we may even read your review in a future episode. If anything we said pissed you off, or if you just have a question you'd like us to answer, send us an email at pastorandphilosopher at gmail.com. Find us on social media at, at Podcast, and find transcripts and links to all of our episodes at pastorandphilosopher.buzzsprout.com. See you next time. Cheers. <laughs>